Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Silver 7's on a Thursday. Thursday Night Football is back. Carolina Panthers. Unbeaten Carolina Panthers going against the Texans, who should be unbeaten. Poor to God. Went down last week. We'll get into the game. Tons of good specials here for NFL games. Great guest spots coming up later this hour. Xavier Pope. Talk about his Bears and Justin Fields. Adam Candy is the company today back in the Finley Toyota Studios. It's Ari. What's up, Candy? Oh, Cofield. Darnold and Mills on a Thursday night. I am ready to party. I'm kind of, obviously for you know jet reasons. I'm kind of intrigued to watch Sam Darnold. Uh, hell of a start. I have a feeling today uh, someone on the show is going to rub in the fact that Sam Darnold has looked pretty damn good, while Zach Wilson has looked like crap. Yeah, I don't think you got could be me Ari. Yet. Could be you. I don't think you got. Uh, no, no. I don't think you got me fired up on that one. Nope. No, no, no sir. Is there a fiery angle on the Thursday night football game? Oh yeah. Oh, uh, listen. I, I mean, this this is the one for the ages here, right? Carolina and Houston? No. In all seriousness, these are the games where I go and remind myself that when we were in the middle of the pandemic and trying to fire ourselves up about, like, E-NASCAR, like, I'll watch anything. No, just seriously, Carolina and Houston on a Thursday? Yep, sounds good. I'll take it. All of Mm. it. All three hours. We talked a lot about hair yesterday because, you know, we get a little weird on appearances. I'm looking at a picture of Davis Mills, the new quarterback out of Stanford. He looks very Stanford-esque. He's got bad hair, but today the thing that is uh, trending on Twitter and the Internet is Davis Mills' neck. First he's of got, all. He's got one of those faces and necks that just kind of flow into each other. It's a little weird. It, that flow into each other as though you have a problem with people who have, what, friction between their uh, their <laughs> neck and their head? Like, it's like There's no a, shape. There's no shape. Neck, it's just weird. It's just, it's just like a telephone pole with a head on it. Well, look, I understand that for the newbies around here, out in social media world, you're all excited about Davis Mills. You're talking about Mike Glennon and so on and so on. <laughs> Come back to those of us from the OG world of the 80s. Merton Hanks is the only neck you will ever need. That dude had what looked to be roughly, and I have never you know, had the opportunity to meet him to hold up a tape measure. I think there was roughly a foot between <laughs> his chin way. and his chest. Yeah. A good, solid, full ruler. <laughs> and then he waggled it and wiggled it all weird when he did that chicken dance. Yeah, and it was awesome. I mean, look, I hated the Niners uh, during that time because they were always right there in the way of my Giants, but... Uh, but I couldn't help but get a, a good chuckle out of Merton Hanks because, come on, man, it was fun. It's Trending at 2, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Yeah, we should open on a Thursday. We already did, but with a little baseball to get you updated on what's going on down the stretch here, you know, 10-11 games left. Uh-oh. Boy, Milwaukee blew that whole freaking lead. St. Louis cannot be defeated. 13 games above 500, top of the eighth, Candy. Uh, Milwaukee was favored going into this one at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook, minus 125, and St. Louis is now up 6-5. to five. I mean, if the Cardinals don't start losing, they have no chance of getting bumped out of that number two wild card spot. So uh, 11 games left going on to 10, and they lead in the eighth, so we'll keep track of that one. Dodgers in Colorado. Dodgers now two games behind 
San Fran. So good news for the Dodgers is that San Francisco early is trailing San Diego 4-2. Bad news for the Dodgers, they're tied with the Woeful Rockies in the bottom of the fifth at three. After the bullpen exploded last night for the Dodgers in Colorado and they end up losing 10-5, to five, uh, this is a situation where the Dodgers and the Giants have no more head-to-head, so they're going to have to wait for help from someone else. And uh, ultimately, you might see this Dodgers team, everybody's prohibitive favorite from the beginning of the year, having to take on the hottest team in baseball, the St. Louis Cardinals, in Unreal. a one-game winner-take-all. Unreal. Uh, Dodgers could go, what, 500 the rest of the way and finish right around 102, 103 wins, and they may have to play a freaking playing game. In the American League, the wild card race, you got the M's two and a half out. You got the A's three and a half out behind the Yankees, and Seattle continues to just push. Check that. They're losing. Seattle has been a pain in the ass for Oakland. Oakland's up 4-1 in the bottom of the fourth. I still think this is one of the more crazy stories in baseball when you look at the two rosters was there any way you thought that seattle would actually have a better record at this time of year than the oakland a's our oakland a's our las vegas a's our our soon to be las vegas a's rooted in las vegas the hashtag uh i think when you look at this seattle team the fact that they still 152 games into the season have a minus 54 run differential the fact that they're anywhere near this playoff race is ridiculous. You know who has a similar run differential? The Detroit Tigers, who are 74 and 78. It's uh, insane that this team is still hanging around. Seattle was a laughing stock of baseball early on. It seemed like they were getting no hit every game, shut out left and right. I think it was probably up until about the 40-game mark. It seemed like they were hitting below 200, below 205, and they've now fired all the way back to overtake the A's as they're ahead uh, by one game today, though, down 4-1. In the fourth, that one was uh, A's minus 140. And then American League, the East, well, and the wild card, really, the East is not much of a race. But, uh, well, no, you have the, the Jays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees, if they all keep winning, it's two teams. Check that, three teams for two spots. Uh, that game's coming up in about two and a half hours. you got Mats in Pineda. Minnesota is minus 130. And the competitive juices are flowing, my friend. It's getting a little bit. Nasty. By the way, no no Red Sox, Rays, or Yankees. Uh, Rays apparently are ready to go bully mode, dirty mode, with what happened the other night. Explain to the audience how uh, there was a mistake made and the Rays were like, sorry, it's September. Hey, I mean, if you were walking down the street and you saw – the competitors' notes, right? You saw the other afternoon radio show's notes about what they were going to do today. Steve Cofield would pick them up, stick them in his pocket. He wouldn't walk them across the street to the competing radio station. He'd stick that run down in his pocket, and he'd say, you know what, now I know exactly what you're going to talk about, and I've got you. Well, Kevin Kiermeyer for the Rays, coming into a home plate collision with the Blue Jays early in the series, uh, he managed to knock the wristband off the Toronto catcher and get those little secrets. See him looking inside their hats, say, how are we going to throw the pitches? What's our scouting report? Where are we going to position everybody? Well, he saw it on the ground. He tried to claim later. First, he tried to say he wasn't sure that it was theirs. He <laughs> thought maybe it was his own. Even though they keep it inside their caps and he had his helmet on. But sure, sounds good, buddy. But then kind of kind of tried to come back on the other side and say, well, then I realized it was theirs, and whatever, I'm not giving it back. It's September. Okay. All right. So it's September, right? 
These are the unwritten rules, apparently. I didn't know there were unwritten rules about written cards, but, hey, there are unwritten rules about everything, apparently. So now, Kiermaier got plunked yesterday. Oops. Oops. Oh, nah, it wasn't intentional, the Jays said. It's just a little just a little fastball that ran inside, and Kiermaier got all huffy. Oh, we're going to remember this one. Oh, I hope we play him again in the playoffs. Listen, dude, shut up. Just shut up. You want to steal the card, steal the card. We're not going to get on you about that. If that's your level of subterfuge, cool. No one's going to get on you about whether or not you handed the card back. You got it, you got it. But I thought baseball was the game that policed itself. I thought these were the things where we said, well, you guys take care of it yourselves. You handle it on the field. Oh, is that, is that not the case anymore? Is that not the way we do things? So now you're going to go out and whine and cry about the fact that you got hit with a pitch because you're the guy that stole the card? You're the guy who said it's September? Well, hey, it's September. They decided to hit you because you stole the card. So shut up. Just take it. If you want to keep being the sport that polices itself, you want to keep being the sport where it's okay to do a little stealing here and there, whether it's sign stealing or card stealing, then take your medicine. By the way, is there no better team to face this weekend if someone wanted to exact justice on behalf of the rest of baseball than the Miami Marlins, who really have nothing to play for and could have like seven pitchers ejected throughout the series and just go, okay, sorry, we're doing the right thing for baseball, Tampa. Hey, it's the it's the unwritten rules, and and every one of us must be a slave to them if we are truly baseball fans. Until now, apparently, hockey is back. Training camps are open around the league. We'll get to uh, the stories around the Golden Knights. But yesterday there were some weird developments on two different fronts. Candy on Evander Kane. You're you know big in the gambling world with LegalSportsReport.com. So apparently the NHL couldn't find anything. Didn't find anything on the gambling allegations with the Sharks of Vander Kane. So the NHL did an investigation after Evander Kane's strange to be ex-wife made the allegations that not only did he bet on NHL games, but that he bet on his own games and might have affected the outcome of his games, which, come on, that's as serious of an allegation as you can throw out there. And uh, as we have talked about before, marriages are sovereign nations. I don't want to get involved in whatever's going on between the two of them, but this is something the league had to take seriously because the NHL has stock in multiple sports books. Uh, they own pieces of sports books. And so because of that, you better get the investigation right. So they go out there, they hire uh, a firm to help with the investigation, they go get betting data from Sport Radar, they interview everybody involved, except. Evander Kane's uh, soon-to-be ex-wife, who refused to participate, and they found no evidence that he bet on any NHL games, including his own. But the one thing that I found interesting in the release was it said uh, that the investigation brought up other instances not related to this that it continues to investigate. So um, what the hell is Evander Kane involved in? Seriously, like, what's going on with this dude? We know that he's got some gambling habits we know that he had some unpaid markers in vegas apparently he didn't bet on his own games apparently he didn't bet on nhl games but is the nhl saying there are other allegations that have to do with other forms of gambling is there something that has to do with potential criminal investigation we have no idea it just said it's going to keep investigating whatever else it found so uh, the, the evander kane story is kind of over but kind of not but at least for the nhl uh they are done with the gambling part, which, frankly, I think is good for everybody involved that we can get 
that shadow, hopefully, fingers crossed, out of the way. Silver 7's on a Thursday. Thursday night football is on the way a little after 5 o'clock right here on ESPN Las Vegas. We'll get the uh, final thoughts on the game and a look at the college board from Bad Powers at 445. Remember when the game starts, the beers are 77 cents. That's on Bud Light Bottles, Bud and Mick Ultra. Coming up, Golden Knights. The camp is open. We'll get into uh, some of the top angles to look for during the camp. And also, oh, no, it's still looming. The shadow is still there. Mark andre Fleury talk on the way. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 2. It's a refi rated Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. I'd say the game is a little softer than it used to be. You know, I think the defensive players are more on the defensive when they go into tackle. And I, I think that's probably adding to this element of quarterbacks outside the pocket and taking more chances, you know, than, than they did in the past. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Wow. Real Tom Brady. You don't get that often. We'll have more on Tom Brady and... Uh... Doc Guerrero, a little later on, more chatter about the breakup of Belichick and Brady. He's not wrong, right, Candy? He's not wrong about defense being all afraid to freaking hit anyone now. Yeah, just, Tom, go ahead and say the rest of it. It's softer because of you. You, You're the reason. You're the reason. When we lost you for a year when you got hit in the knee, that's when everything changed. That's when you couldn't hit the quarterback low anymore. So... You're the reason, and that's fine. I enjoy watching quarterbacks being able to make more plays, and our own Derek Carr has talked about how he's been more willing to take chances the last couple of years because of how the rules have changed. So, you know, good on you, Tommy. Thanks, Bernard Pollard. We thought it was a – well, I don't want to say a blessing. You don't want to see a guy tear it. Hey, 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 hey. But uh, now it's turned out to be – it backfired on us, Bernard. We were in with you. Backfired on us. Uh, that, and that all said, I'm assuming – the uh, UNLV Fresno game. I'll be in Fresno tomorrow doing the show. That uh, there will be what seven targeting penalties reviewed because college only- football is college football has become just uh, just a, an S show when it comes to targeting, and it doesn't matter where the helmet is located. It could be on a on a thigh, the lower back, the upper back, the shoulder. They're going to throw the flag. They're going to review. I'll tell you what. If we were doing this in the NFL, I'd probably be more bothered. But in college, where these kids aren't getting paid where one of these hits could knock someone out for a year and they're not getting a dime for being out there. Review them all. That's fine. Take your time. Hockey updates in terms of some narratives from the opening of the Golden Knights camp. Real interesting story to follow is Nolan Patrick, right? They need Nolan Patrick to be who he was supposed to be when he was drafted. Uh, They also need to not be embarrassed in this swap of first-rounders that didn't work out with their old organizations. I mean, look, overall, it was fun to see some, you know, some, uh, what, how should we call it, F- positive tweets, positive feelings around <laughs> Nolan Patrick today. Looks yes. great. I can see how he was the number two overall pick. It's the first day of practice. 
right? If he doesn't look like the former number two overall pick in the first day of practice, when the hell is he going to look like the number two overall pick? There's a reason he was available the way he was available. So, yeah, I hope for the Golden Knights' sake that, you know, that the guy is able to come in and perform at anything close to the level that, uh, you know, that Philadelphia never saw. Oh, no. The moment I dreaded, I was hoping this would fade into the ether. Marc-Andre Fleury opens up about trade from Vegas. Here we go. Mm-hmm. What do we got here, Candy? Oh, sacre bleu. This, <laughs> this is so unfortunate, uh, Cofield. It appears we might be on the verge of having to deal with the Marc-Andre Fleury story for a lot longer. And here's, here's what it's going to be called. Are you ready? I'm going to try my French out. The Malédiction de Marc-Andre Fleury. That is French for the curse of Marc-Andre Fleury. And all of you people who can speak actual French, go ahead and hit us up on Twitter and tell me how terrible that was. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury talked to Frank Saravalli, who is one of the uh, bigger national hockey writers on his first day in Chicago, and opened up quite a bit about the end of his time with the Golden Knights. Uh, and the long and short of it is that he says that Kelly McCrimmon, the Vegas GM, who said that he had been very forthcoming with Marc-Andre Fleury about the fact that he was exploring trades for him, didn't really uh, didn't really give him as much of a heads up as Kelly McCrimmon has told the Vegas media. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury was pretty specific, said that he initiated both of the offseason conversations that were had between himself and the Vegas front office, and that Kelly McCrimmon said that he was looking at options, that he was keeping options open. Not that he was exploring trades for Marc-Andre Fleury. And then, obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury confirmed again that he found out on Twitter about the trade, and Alan Walsh brought out his sword one more time. And he stuck it directly through the Vegas front office. Uh, God, it's amazing how Pete DeBoer has come out uh, harmless out of this one. Right through the Vegas front office where he said, you know, the excuse that uh, the trade call wasn't done yet and we couldn't tell him because of that. He said, I've had GMs give us a heads up in the past that, hey, something might be coming. We have something in principle. Uh, You didn't have to wait until the trade call was done. Uh, Cofield, it, it appears that we are going to have... Marc-Andre Fleury hanging over the heads of the Golden Knights for for quite a while here. Uh, At the very least, until the Golden Knights play the Blackhawks. But let me tell you something. If this team doesn't get off to a good start this year, if this team does not come out of the gate strong, if Robin Leonard doesn't come out of the gate strong, we are going to be hearing about the curse of Marc-Andre Fleury and the curse of how they treated the face of the franchise for a long time to come. Well, there's two stories here. One... The Flurry Walsh side, the woe is us, I don't think it's the entire truth. So I think they're fanning the flames on this one. I don't believe either one of them is that naive that they didn't see the breakup coming. I don't care what Bill Foley told Flurry about you know, the potential of him retiring here. We knew after the season, after they didn't win a Stanley Cup, one of the goalies was going, and while I favored Flurry staying, common thought was it was going to be Flurry who was going, and Leonard who was going to be staying. Now, the other, the other part of it, I mean, that, you, you can't get away from, you have a legendary goalie who established himself in just a few years as a hero of the franchise when you pick one over the other, and we already know, you know, every time uh, one was in, one was out, uh, you know, that 
people were picking sides, and there were a lot of Flurry fans. So yeah, it's the the curse is going to hang over the Knights, and the season the season will be judged the entire way by how Leonard does. Because Flurry fans, no matter what Leonard does, unless they win a Stanley Cup, will say Flurry could have won it. So why do you think then that Walsh and Flurry are, are fanning this thing? Uh, like, do you think that there's there was some impression out there that? that Marc-Andre Fleury was trying to push his way out of town? Because I don't see what sort of narrative they'd be trying to reset by doing things the way they're doing. No, I, I think they like being the victim. I, I think they enjoy saying, hey, we got screwed over. And, and let, this is a very complicated deal. Going back a couple of years, I'm sure Fleury was annoyed at management at different times with the way they handled other players. But he was, I'm sure he's been annoyed like an, like an A-Rodge, like an Aaron Rodgers from the get-go that – the Knights, even though they signed him to an extension, they brought in Leonard and they said, hey, here's your replacement. That's not easy to get over. And clearly the two of them are not over it, nor are they ever going to get over it. So we're saying this goes back to DeBoer because that's what I'd like. What I'd really like here is if we're still talking about Pete DeBoer, if we're still blaming this on Pete DeBoer, then just come out and do it. Come out and do it. On the, on the Florian Walsh side, if we're still coming after Pete DeBoer, then, then go after Pete DeBoer. Don't, don't get into this semantics war with Kelly McCrimmon about when you found out about the trade and where you found out about it and all of this. It's not worth it because Marc-Andre Fleury came out again in this interview with Sarah Volley and referenced Bill Foley saying, well, I want to keep Marc-Andre Fleury here for the rest of his career. So if Marc-Andre Fleury is feeling hurt by the organization, then tell us who you're hurt by. Because I don't think it's Kelly McCrimmon and the fact that Kelly McCrimmon didn't give you a call before this happened or that Kelly McCrimmon said he was exploring options but didn't actually tell you, hey, we're going to go ahead and try to trade you. If you're pissed at DeBoer, then, then be mad at him. Be mad at Pete DeBoer. Be mad at Pete DeBoer. Be mad at Bill Foley. But come out and say it. Let's not have this hanging over the franchise the way that it looks like it's going to because Vegas Golden Knights fans, honestly, in the end, don't really care. They don't really care if it's DeBoer. They don't really care if it's Foley. They care that Marc-Andre Fleury, who is the most popular athlete in Vegas history who did not play on the UNLV championship team, they're they're the ones that are always going to side with him. Watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. What I like about Darnold is he's not making mistakes that cost you games. He's shown poise in the pocket. He's completed 68.5% of his passes, and this after completing only 59.8% in three years with the Jazz. This sucks. Hubbard in the backfield, fake to him. A lot of room for Darnold to run, but he throws instead and into the end zone for a touchdown. Brandon Schultzer. This sucks. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Oh, yeah, I'm trying not to get mad. That was David Newton, Panthers guy for ESPN.com. And then Panthers highlight Sam Darnold out there for a national audience. I feel like the last time he was in front of the nation was the night he was seeing Ghost. I'd have to go back and check if that actually was the night or the last time he was in a primetime game. But he's been very good. Uh, The Jets... Early on in this whole quarterback swap, not really a swap, but change, have egg all over their faces. We'll uh, follow this story as we lead up to the Panthers and the Texans Thursday night football. Cofield, I, is your favorite, yeah. before you go on, is your favorite Darnold story seeing ghosts or is your favorite Darnold story being out with mono? The ghost. Okay. I just want, I, there, I there never, are a lot I never, to choose from. 
I never got the whole mono thing. Why everyone went crazy on that? Hmm. Okay. All right. None of them are the butt fumble, but on we go. No. No, no one can live up to the butt fumble. That lives that lives on forever. So I think we have a, an important story potentially developing here. And I've pointed this out, and you have, and I know Adam Hill has on the show. Now that gambling is embraced by the NFL and by owners, some owners own part of sportsbooks. I think we've got a weird conflict of interest, and at a minimum, it's an optics issue, right? The guys who own the teams are making money off the games being bet. Okay. So a story comes out today. Uh, Pro Football Talk was following the fact that, uh, you know, Robert Kraft still has interest, a stake in a sports book. So does Adam Schefter. Okay. ESPN declines to say whether Schefter's investment in gambling firm violates company policy. What do you think is bigger, that an owner has a stake in a sports book or that a writer journalist who covers the NFL does? You know, this is something that over at Legal Sports Report we've covered extensively, going back to owners having an interest in DraftKings and some other uh, gambling outfits for years and years now. Uh, to me, it's it's the owners. Uh, the owners have a larger perception problem, I think, than Adam Schefter does because in the end, it, how do lines move, right? We talk about lines moving based on, oh, no, this information came out, and did someone have the information in advance? And, yeah, Schefter Schefter has the information at all times. But what I think we overrate is how much that information affects the betting market, right? It's not about big public shifts of money coming in and moving the lines. It's about big syndicates and certain players coming in that books respect, placing those wagers and moving lines. So I don't know that I have as much concern about after beyond the optics, which are a problem, as I do about the perception of owners and their influence over a team. Right? Because the bigger problem for me is if you have the perception that an owner can have influence over the outcome of a game for the purpose of benefiting gambling, for the purpose of benefiting a certain side or the total or whatever it is, that's a much bigger problem. When the Arizona Cardinals were first talking about the fact that sports betting is now legal in Arizona and the fact that there might be a sports book somewhere in the stadium, and mind you, there's going to be sports books in multiple stadiums in Arizona, including uh, for the Suns inside their arena and right outside uh, Chase Field as well. But when we talked about it in Arizona, I was talking to some folks who are pretty savvy sports fans, business reporters, who are all saying, wait a second, well, that's a problem. The Cardinals are going to run a sports book. They're like, whoa, 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 no. The Cardinals aren't going to run a sports book. They're going to contract with a company who is going to handle all of the actual bookmaking that goes on. But you know what? None of that matters. The perception is what matters here. The perception is the problem. And when the NFL is making money off sports books. It has seven different sports book partners now. The league itself has seven different sports book partners. When owners have interests in these sports books, you have massive perception problems that I don't think anyone has really fully grasped or or understood yet. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and you know, I've been whining about the taunting penalties this week, but for the most part, we try not to get too crazy over the officiating. I don't believe this is the case, but I definitely thought about Jerry Jones and his stake in a sports book when I was watching the 
weird officiating in the in the grass sack when Justin Herbert is pushed back 20 yards. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder who Jerry Jones' book needs in this game. Now, I, I don't believe that's happening, but that's what we're talking about, perception. And that's why when you have all these lines crossed, it's, it's bizarre, and it, it's so obnoxious too, right? A league for years and years and years who were like, integrity, we can't crack the integrity of the league with legalized sports gambling. And then as soon as they have a chance, they're like, oh, we'll buy into a book, of course. Like, wait, what? You went from hating sports gambling to absolutely wanting to be a part of it. So it's not going to be talked about maybe ever by, by mainstream media, but I know you and I have been watching this, and it's just it's weird, man. It's uncomfortable. I don't get it. I don't get it. All right, we'll get into uh, some of the big NFL news in a couple of minutes with our legal analyst and uh, cultural analyst on Thursdays, Xavier Pope out of Chicago. And I know, well, I assume he's all fired up. Justin Fields' era is starting this weekend with the Bears going against the Browns. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Thursday Night Football means we hang out at Silver Sevens. It also means we talk to Xavier Pope. We've got the Texans and the Panthers on the way, but no Tyrod Taylor, Xavier. Unbelievable, this guy's bad luck. And Tyrod Taylor, man, the worst luck ever. Uh, goes to every situation, or he gets hurt, or he kind of gets upended by for another guy. Uh, feel, feel for that guy. Um, this was his opportunity to to have a, a starting job in the National Football League, Football League, and hold on to it for a while. And so, press up to you, Tyrod. Um, keep your head up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, do you feel the same for Andy Dalton? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, but that's anyone here in Chicago. Everyone wants Justin Fields. This, the Justin Fields era has begun. We know that Ryan Pace specifically stated that when Andy Dalton comes back, he will be the starter. But how many times have you heard coaches say that, Steve? Well, he said that about, uh, yeah. about uh, True Bledsoe. He'd never get that job back. <laughs> Right. And then field in this case, Fields controls his own destiny because if he's good the next couple of weeks, Andy Dalton ain't getting the job back. Um, Mm -hmm. Listen, I like Justin Fields for the future. I will say he was a bit scary last week against the Bengals, including the interception towards the end of the game that got it to 20 to 17. Are you confident that he's ready to go? I mean, he's a young guy playing the National Football League, Steve. I mean, he's going to make some mistakes and he also was put in after an injury to their starting quarterback, he wasn't, he wasn't getting starting quarterback reps in practice. And so you have to have a guy get starters reps for a week and, and then prep, prep for the team and then their first team and, and, and then play the game. And so this is going to be a, a big test for Justin Fields, getting starters reps, getting in there, starting the game, knowing he's going to start the game and going from front to front to finish. And so I think that's what you're, it's a better measuring stick to look and see where he might be starting off this season. How about the Raiders 2-0? Raiders 2-0. Uh, and really putting up some points, man. I, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's been, it's been, they've been excited, exciting to watch. I mean, that was a great game between them and the Steelers on, on Sunday. That was a very entertaining game. Uh, Carr slinging the pill all around the field, spraying the ball around. Uh, it just seems to be some excitement around this team. And I think that Raiders fans have 
plenty of reasons to be excited about the Raiders' chances of making the playoffs this year. We get very excited when our hometown teams win here to the point where Derek Carr has been put on a pedestal, so I hope he doesn't fall this week because he is beat up and the offensive line is beat up. But the big narrative, believe it or not, because we're goofballs on our show, but other people like this too, is that Derek Carr is growing his hair out. Um, and yesterday I stymied my co-host by bringing up the fact that Carr is kind of – he's got like kind of – I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's all one length, like his beard and his hair. And I was saying that he could probably get the job done in the future with a Floby. You know what a Floby is, right? <laughs> I, as a black man, can't use a Floby, but I know that Derek Carr can. Yes. Uh, just put it in your hair, it kind of like blows up to this tube, and then yep. it kind of like takes the top off and kind of gets you kind of uniform feel. All right, Derek Carr, let's see your Floby cut. Yep, yep. I think, actually, I think the show is going to do some sort of Floby bet on a future football game. Uh, but like you said, you can't be in the bet, so that's too bad. Uh, Xavier Pope is with us. That's disappointing. He can't be involved in this bet. All right, let's get through some serious stuff, but really not so serious, but maybe it is serious. Uh, the taunting rule in the National Football League. I'm going to have Ari play a bite here. I just want you to listen to John Harbaugh, the Ravens coach, talk about the taunting penalties, which uh, have really pissed people off to start the season. Well, I haven't personally looked at any of the calls so far. I, I, I agree with the idea. I mean, sportsmanship is very important. The way we treat one another is very important. I think the NFL is out front in so many in so many ways. You know, it's, it's, we're, high, we're high profile, you know, and kids watch, watch us all the time. So the way we treat one another on the field is very important. It's, it's about respect, respecting one another out there. Uh, and, you know, how it gets interpreted from game to game, I think that's something you got to work through. But it's basically about respect and respecting one another in sportsmanship. I get the respect thing in principle, but the calls have been egregious. And I think there's something bigger at play here. Yeah, I and mean, there's considerable discussion about it being – people were comparing it to the NBA's dress code to make this – the league seemed less urban to its predominantly white fans. Uh, and a lot of the calls you're seeing when they're being called against, you know, African-American players, you know, that African-Americans make up a considerable amount of players in the National Football League. And it seems as if this tamping down on this thug culture, the hip hopping and the bopping around. Um, but people have been called the no fun league. And I, a lot of those African-Americans I know in media just to say this just doesn't seem it seems a little bit a little bit more than just hey about respect for one another in the game particularly when you know in in in, in black culture they're you know styling and, and and doing certain things it's just part of the culture it's not something meant to just show up a guy or being disrespectful it's just it is part of the game and it's a fun thing for fans and and I want to know what where, who was complaining about this? Like, where was no the, one. the giant contingency of fans? We didn't even have a, any. We didn't have any politicians saying these guys are spitting the ball and pointing at each other. Like, I, I didn't see any of that. I think it's a, it's overreaching by the National Football League. The way it's been applied, it's completely subjective. Guys are barely doing anything or getting called, and it could potentially impact what happens in a football game. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know what, Xavier, I don't want to hear the excuse, oh, well, you know, when they bring up these rules or bring in these rules, they call a lot of the penalties early. Well, the games early count, too, at the end of the year in the playoff race, and some of the calls against the Chargers were absurd, and that game against the Cowboys could cost the Chargers a playoff spot. So I want everyone to remember yeah. that. And then the other thing is, it's funny, John Harbaugh has no issue with it right now. Well, guess what? On Sunday night, if we're going to call this, 
then you need to call it consistently. When Lamar Jackson went into the end zone and stopped and looked to his left and then did a somersault, that's taunting. But guess what? The refs didn't have the stones on Sunday Night Football in a gigantic game to throw the flag. If we're going to do it, then do it and be consistent. And that's the problem, Steve. The consistency of the of the calling of and, and how it can potentially impact the game. And referees, sometimes they kind of look out for themselves. They don't want to see, see themselves as being completely egregious. So overturning something like that was be seen as egregious. Um, but, I, you know, someone like a pro football talk, of coming out and saying they think it's a good idea to keep the taunting rule, not understanding some of the conversations about it was just tone deaf. We got into it on Twitter, uh, back and forth. Uh, and yeah, I thought it would, I thought it was clickbait, you know, putting on an article saying, Hey, I think it's a good idea. Come at me, bro. I mean, I think it was ridiculous. And I think that we have to be sensitive to some of the cultural issues and the narrative around some of this taunting, the taunting rule. Uh, PFT is a powerhouse on social media. So is Barstool Sports. So much that they've got their own sports book branded with their name. Uh, but it was pretty interesting this week. Uh, Dustin Gauker over at Legal Sports Report pointed out that they're doing uh, celeb parlays, and it's you know mostly their host. I don't know if you read through the story, but they do an odds boost on parlays, and so far on the suggested parlays, they're one and eleven. Yeah, this one's really interesting because I'm listen. I'm not here to police gambling, and if you know. Casual fans want to play parlays. That's fine. I don't think there's anything misleading. I actually, I kind of think the funny part of this is a lot of us believe that the audience is a bit douchey that really loves Barstool. So if they're the ones getting victimized, oh, well. Speaking of 0-6 last week, uh, so they are (laughs) not doing too well at their picking, and they don't have gambling experts that are picking these games. They get, hey, follow what Big Cat says. And so, okay, you're going to drink the thing he drinks. You're going to gamble the way he gambles. You're going to have the same politics that he has and just follow every little thing that he does because this is your douche bro hero. Um, it's going to cost you some cash, too. All right, let's uh, flip to something a little more serious. This one's interesting. We've uh, we've got uh, lawsuits concerning uh, some of the abortion law changes in places like Mississippi and Texas, and it looks like the first lawsuit's been filed in Texas against a doctor who violated the ban. I thought it was interesting. Uh, there was a non-practicing lawyer who filed for suit. He filed for suit not because he was against the abortion ban, but because of the law that that any private citizen, he wasn't even in the same state, private citizens can bring a, a, a lawsuit and potentially force it up the chain. He wanted to test the the legality of it. He wanted to, he wanted to get, okay, let's get this thing going. Let's get this in front of the Supreme court as fast as possible to be, to be litigated at the highest level. And so that's what he did. Now we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you saw some, some of the the conversation this week uh, from some of the, uh, some of the uh, politicians in the state of Texas that stated that there was no real intention that anyone would actually bring a suit. Um, Why would you put that in the law? If you didn't think that it, (laughs) that someone would bring the suit. I mean, so it it seems like that portion of the law doesn't seem, it seems to be on shaky ground. And I think that's probably why the lawyer potentially challenged that portion of the law. Xavier Pope is with us, our legal analyst here on Thursdays. A connected story in Mississippi, 500 female athletes have filed an amicus brief. And I guess their claim is that as athletes, uh, if they don't have the ability to get an abortion, it could actually be discriminatory and hurt their cause as athletes. Because if they have to go full term, have a child, then maybe they lose their scholarship. Uh, they lose their ability to play sports. 
Yeah, they talked about, you know, it takes on the financial gains that they have and, and contributes to the broader economy. I mean, this is 26 Olympians, 73 professional athletes, 276 intercollegiate athletes that signed this brief. Um, this is including, you know, some of the most popular women's athletes in sports. And I think that this women ha- have led the fight in terms of politics. We saw this with the WNBA and the, and the, the, the Florida, I'm sorry, the Georgia Senate election and how they tipped the scales of an election and got an owner out of the sport altogether. Um, Kelly uh, Leffler. Uh, so I think it's really interesting to see how women have used their stance to be able to advance causes that affect them and in fact affect other women. And it's really inspiring to see. Let me headline uh, also connected in terms of athletes rights. A federal judge in Pennsylvania has denied the NCAA's motion for de- uh, dismissal of a case that is arguing division one athletes meet employee criteria under the fair labor standards act and must be paid hourly wages. What exactly does that mean? All it means is that the case moves forward. And if you have a case that's moving forward, now you have more arguments. There's more documents that's going to be seen from the NCAA in terms of any efforts they have taken to be able to suppress wages, to be able to uh, to be able to ensure that they keep the system in place. And so I think that that will be interesting to see. Now, the NCAA is they've been kind of on the losing end. Now we've seen with name, image and likeness. We've also seen a case that was brought by Jeffrey Kessler over the in terms of the, the artificial ceiling that's that's put on payments to tuition and room and board. And so this is just another one of the cases that we're seeing college sports as we know it unraveling slowly but surely to a place that athletes rights as employee as employees and able to take advantage of their name, image and likeness uh, to be recognized and eventually to be able to unionize as well. I think some people are going to look at this next story and go, you damn attorneys, and, and maybe you'll defend attorneys, but this one's interesting. Uh, the Sacklers, that's the uh, the family that owns the, the company that was putting out OxyContin, and they've been you know blasted in lawsuits. Uh, they're going to have to pay $4.5 billion. They're worth $11 billion. But the interesting note here is that all that money, it says only 7.5% of the $4.5 billion will actually go to victims, about $5,700 per family. The rest will go to corporations, lawyers, and government. Is that is that true? What, 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 why is this happening? Yeah, when well, you have class action lawsuits, I mean, you have the lawyers that take their cut and you know, is upwards of 33% of those settlements plus fees. Then you have the, the, the named class and those particular suits. They're able to get a higher share of payouts than say this the, the affected people that there are that the lawsuit regard is regarding and they get the the lower end of the totem pole not having brought those suits on their own and so I mean, it's part of the, the legal system in america lawyers get paid tons of money to advocate for other people and they I mean, essentially they get you know a, a pretty hefty commission on settlements all right let's close on a lighter note or you know maybe it, it suggests some uh, issues with your upbringing man i don't know what's going on here i saw <laughs> i saw you mention your first rap concert, who played? It was Two Live Crew. Yeah. Uh, and the DOC was a popular <laughs> artist from Texas that was associated with NWA at the time. He was a, one of the first, their first writers and wrote all their lyrics at the time. And I was probably like maybe 12. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, when you're growing up and, you know, that was when hip hop was really young and you could just make up why you're going to a concert. No one, you know, your parents, they don't know what's going on. And so, uh, it was a really raunchy concert. Um, very uh, interesting things that I saw. I'm that, sure. 
<laughs> that uh, opened my virgin eyes yeah. to uh, what happens on stage at a two live crew concert. Sure. <laughs> Uncle, Uncle Luke. And here's the thing, Steve. Uncle, I met Luke and in Minnesota in 2015 and through a, to a friend of mine, Donovan Campbell, who's a sports reporter down in Miami. And I told him that was my first concert. And he remembered the concert and what happened there. It was a really interesting experience. Uh, one of my favorite things to do at local bars is get on the uh, the jukebox and actually play two live crew. Now I don't I don't play the multiple songs about. P- I actually I play I play band in the USA, which if you actually listen to, is very applicable twenty years later. It is a great song about fighting basically for freedom of expression as an entertainer. And that's what hip hop is all about. It has been about. And I think that that's the big, been the big discussion this year about um, hip hop in terms of what can you say? What can you, can you say, whether it's on the mic or off the mic and hip hop still continues to fight that many years later, but the implications of it may be a little bit different than they were in the eighties in terms of censorship versus you being offensive. What's on suit up news this week. We're talking about Haiti. Um, and the refugee crisis, and we're talking about some of the connections, some of the players in the National Football League, a uh, big issue that's going on. Um, and we're talking about it more on Suit Up News. Go to hashtag Suit Up News or follow me on Twitter at Xavier Pope, E X A V I E R P O P E, for the latest episode. Xavier, thank you. Go Bears. I might bet the Bears this weekend. So, Fields, please come through against the Browns. No three team parlays, dude. That's a good line. All right, Xavier, we appreciate it. Thursday night football is on the way. We got the Panthers and the Texans on the way back. We'll get you the latest numbers on the game from the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. We are at Silver Sevens today. The beers, once the game starts, 77 cents on Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra. That's good for every single NFL game this season at Silver Sevens. We're doing the live show at Flamingo in Paradise right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.